Welcome to Saints and Sinners Unplugged, where we talk true crime and the news of the day with celebrities and difference makers. I'm your host, Casey Sherman, alongside my partner in true crime writing, Mr. Dave Wedge. Today, we're excited to be joined by legendary record executive, Jason Flom. Flom is the founder of Lava Records and the former chairman of Atlantic Records and Virgin Records. He's responsible for the careers of hundreds of artists and bands, including Skid Row, Stone Temple Pilots, Katy Perry, Lord, and Greta Van Fleet. Jason Flom, welcome to Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Jesus, that's a hell of an intro. I, I, um, I'd like to take you around with me. I mean, uh, that would be a much more uh, socially... Um, I think it would increase my social standing if I just had you as sort of my, you know, my front man. Hey, Jason, Dave Wedge here. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we're going to get to uh, your work with the Innocence Project and and your your new podcast about wrongful convictions. Uh, We're we're so happy to collaborate with someone like you because Casey and I are journalists at heart. And, um, you know, we've covered a lot of uh, social injustice, a lot of a lot of criminal cases over the years. So we do appreciate all the work that you do. But me being the uh, the music nerd that I am, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your career in the music industry, uh, if you don't mind. So if you can, you know, just just tell our listeners a little bit, Jason. How did you get your start as a music executive, and um, how did you get involved with Lava Records? Well, I started as a music executive by failing at being a rock star. You know, like a lot of people, I think, you know, so when I was 18, um, you know, I had big rock star dreams. I didn't want to go to college. Uh, I made a deal with my parents. I had a year to become a rock star. Otherwise, I had to go to college. So I took a year off. But my mom insisted that I had to work. I was lucky to get a trainee position at Atlantic Records at 18 years old. They gave me some a staple gun, some double-sided tape, a bunch of Zeppelin posters and some other stuff. And off I went to put up posters in record stores. Hopefully you, some of the audience are old enough to remember what record stores were. But anyway, so that's what I did. And then I fell in love with the music business. Um, and I decided I was never going to make it. My dad had told me and my brother, do whatever you want to do. Try to be the best at it, but just make the world a better place. That's the only definition of success that really matters. So I really wanted to be a success in his eyes. So, you know, that's how this all started. I figured I'm never going to be the best guitar player. I'm not going to make it into the, you know, headlining Madison Square Garden, but maybe I can help discover other artists and help them live out their, you know, full potential. And then I can live my rock star dreams vicariously through them. You know, that's how it started. I was very, very lucky um, to get this trainee position And once I got there, I was even luckier to discover an artist that became successful called Zebra. Their first album came out, became a big hit. And then, you know, they gave me a job doing A&R. Of course, A&R stands for Artists and Repertoire. And that means the people who are responsible for going out and finding new artists and developing them. And I was, like I said, in the right place at the right time and and really was very, very lucky to, to sort of, you know, find myself working with some of the really amazing, amazing artists of that time. And um, it's, it's, it's great memories. And, you know, you asked me how I started Lava Records. Well, so Zebra, you know, led to Twisted Sister, 
And then there was an artist. My third one was an artist called Fiona. She had like a minor hit with a song called Talk to Me. So three out of three in the beginning was a crazy thing. And then, you know, with more money, I had more money for drugs and I ended up in rehab and which I'm very grateful that my boss sent me to rehab instead of firing me and that I was never arrested. And then when I came out, you know, not knowing if I was ever going to have another hit, along came White Lion and Skid Row and Stone Temple Pilots and Collective Soul and all these different artists. Wow. And Tori Amos, I signed back then. You signed so many bands, you know, Man of War, Skid Row, Lord, Simple Plan, Sugar Ray, Stone Temple Pilots. How'd you get that ear to find that sort of talent? You know, Katy Perry. How, how did you figure out, like, you know, who's good and who's not? You know, there's no real answer to that. And I hate to cop out on your question. It's a good question, but it's just instincts. There's no, you know, it's a weird thing, A&R, right? Because music is magic and we don't, uh, there's nobody that, that's ever batted 400 in the music industry, I don't think, right? It's sort of like baseball. Everybody's wrong more often than they're right. But you get that feeling when the hairs on your arms stand up and you get that tingling, like your spidey senses or whatever you want to describe it. But when you get that feeling, then you go, you know, Matchbox 20 and Kid Rock were back in those days as well. And the cores, it was really a wonderful, you know, a wonderful run for God, a long, long time now. And now, of course, the latest one is Greta Van Fleet, mm. um, whose new album just came out Friday and is off to the races, which I'm, I'm super excited about them. And get ready because we're about to launch the new Jesse J project and it's going to blow everybody's mind. It's almost as if Donna Summer and Whitney Houston had a baby. It's so good. I'm <laughs> now, so excited. Now, so now so you're I talk- still get excited. Now you're talking my language, Donna Summer, Boston, Massachusetts, which is where we are right now. But, um, you know, you say marketing, but uh, that's bullshit. Like you found so many bands with so much talent. Like, as I said, I'm a huge metal nerd. Man of War was a level above all the other metal bands. Sebastian Bach and Skid Row, the best singer in metal. Lord, one of the most best songwriters we've ever seen in, in history. Sugar Ray, songwriters. Stone Temple Pilots, songwriters. So you have that knack to find these people that have the knack to write that song. But uh, you mentioned someone before, Kid Rock. Um, you know, you signed Kid Rock to Lava Records uh, back in, I'm assuming it was sometime in the 90s when he was a scumbag out of Detroit and he was a rapper. And now today he's a right wing, like mouthy sort of country star. When you look at what he's become as opposed to what you signed him as, what do you kind of make of that transition? Well, he's one of those rare artists that, you know, I mean, I don't see eye to eye with him on politics at all. I never will. Um, and you know, it's upsetting to me, honestly, but you know, he's entitled to his opinion and it's a free country and everybody can do whatever they want. But, um, the fact is that he is a uniquely gifted performer, uh, you know, writer and, um, even producer. And so he's also one of the very, very few artists that we can think of throughout music history, who's able to do everything from, pure rock and roll to, you know, country, as you said, to hip hop stuff. I mean, he's a chameleon. And, you know, you think about Bowie did it right. Queen did it. But there's only a handful of artists that have successfully, you know, bridged those genres. And um, it's phenomenal. I mean, look, Ba with the Ba was on the same album with Only God Knows Why. Right. They're both monster hits. You have to go back to, I think, the Queen to find two. Right songs on the same album fantastic hit songs that were so 
different from each other. So I'm very, very proud of what we accomplished together. I agree. Look, he's a complicated guy. He's an antagonist or whatever you want to call it. A provocateur. He does it that musically, politically. Um, you know, he's a you know, he's a rabble rouser, period. And like I said, I, I look back on my career and you know, breaking him was one of the harder things that I've ever had to do uh, or tried to do. And obviously we did it to an extraordinary level. I mean, that first, that album, Devil Without a Cause, I believe is one of the finer albums ever made. And it ended up being one of the biggest albums ever made. So, you know, but it was not without pushing that snowball way up the hill because there was, it was a lot of forces aligned against it. Nobody liked Kid Rock back then. So let's go back to March 7th, 1993. You're a hotshot record executive. You're only 32 years old. You've, you know, you, you once got lectured by a cop for smoking pot, you know, during your rebellious youth. You know, what happened in March of 93 that changed your life? Well, thanks for bringing that up. Um, that was a really was that moment. You know, people talk about the moment when things change for you. Um, it, it, this was when I got hit by the thunderbolt and I realized what my purpose was. And it was all because of an article uh, I read in the New York Post of all places, which is not a paper I typically would buy. But this article, the headline was Ferraro's plea for cocaine kid. And the sub headline said she asked clemency. She asks clemency in a case like son John's. And so it was a story of a kid named Stephen Lennon, who has was serving. He was halfway through a 15 year to life sentence for a nonviolent first offense cocaine possession charge in a maximum security prison in New York State. Now, let me just run that back in case you think I might have misspoken. <laughs> right. Nonviolent first offense, cocaine possession charge, 15 years to life in a maximum security prison in New York State. He actually met Son of Sam the first day he was there. Anyway, so I read this story. His, he had been trying to get clemency. His mother had been trying to get clemency for him. Mrs. Lennon was a, you know, a woman, just a mother, not yeah. a typical mother, you know, upstate New York, nobody with any influence. But she had gotten letters from the judge, the warden. The even got Geraldine Farrar to write a letter to Governor Mario Cuomo, who was the governor back then, and he had turned them down. And and Stephen had completed college in prison. He had done rehab. He had done everything you could really do to show you rehabilitate. And I just read this and I said, this is insane. Like this kid was the same age as I was. I had had a coke problem. He obviously had a coke problem. And I said, this is I mean, my every every notion that I had of fairness and equity went out the window. Um, and justice. And I said, I got to try to do something about it now. What do I, I didn't know anything about doing anything about anything like this, but so I got the only criminal defense lawyer I knew at the time, uh, Bob Kalina uh, on the phone. Bob was a guy who represented Stone Temple Pilots and Skid Row. And as you recall, they were getting arrested like twice a week, right. it felt like, right? So I got Bob on the phone. I had him on speed dial. I said, can you do anything about this? He said, there's nothing you could do. It's the Rockefeller drug laws. It is the way it is. There's thousands of cases. I said, make a long story short, he agreed to take the case pro bono as a favor to me. He said it was hopeless, but we ended up in a courtroom in Malone, New York, six months later. And I sat there holding Mrs. Lennon's hand with her husband Stan on the other side. They brought Stephen in his shackles like he was Charles Manson or something, legs chained together, hands chained to his waist. And the judge, who looked like Ted Forsythe, I said, this guy's never going to rule in our favor. He looked like an old conservative guy. I guess you shouldn't judge a book by his cover. But he 
he banged that gavel down and he said, the motion is granted. And I, you know, Bob came running over to me, the lawyer. And, and I said, Bob, what the, what the fuck just happened? And he goes, we won. I said, what? He goes, we won. I was like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I didn't know it could even be done, but it was done. And they sent him home. And, you know, that's what started me on this journey. You know, I did a little quick research. Um, I saw an article in Rolling Stone about an organization called Families Against Mandatory Minimums. That's F-A-M-M. And so I joined their board. Uh, They were looking for help. And then soon after that, I saw something on TV about the Innocence Project, about a death penalty case they had recently won where a guy was going to be executed and they found the DNA and the microscope and the thing and the law. And they got this guy out of prison. And I said, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And and also the worst. I said, I, I got to be involved with that. I marched into the office of the Innocence Project. I Back then, you could just walk in. There was nobody there. It was Peter Neufeld and Barry Sheck were the founders. Mm-hmm. And they were sitting there in, in a little room with a briefcase, a phone, a microscope, and a dream. And I said, I don't know what you guys need me to do, but I'll do that and a whole bunch more because I got to be involved. Hey, Casey. Like our fans who tune in here on Saint Sinners and Serial Killers, we're all about truth. Working on our projects, I need a boost sometimes. I love my coffee, but I'm really loving these true lifestyle drinks. Me too, Dave. There are six different flavors for every activity. They're gluten and GMO-free, organic, vegan, and there's no artificial sweeteners or additives. They're clean, and they contain all sorts of vitamins and nutrients, and they're damn tasty. You know, True's founder, Jack McNamara, is a former pro hockey player, and he created True because he was looking for healthy energy drinks that wouldn't make you crash. I've been loving Energy, the Orange Mango Wake Up Blend, as well as Focus, the Apple Kiwi Brain Blend. Jack and his team have scientifically engineered some game-changing beverages, and I'm working several of them into my daily routine. And I'm making them part of my lifestyle, too. True drinks for true crime fans. Go to drinktrue.com and use the code SAINTS to get 30% off your purchase. Now, back to Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers. That's so incredible to hear, um... You know, I was a reporter at the Boston Herald for 14 years. I was a news wow. reporter for 25 years. And uh, in 2001, I remember I was I was covering a case of a guy named Kenneth Waters, who was uh, convicted of a murder in Massachusetts. And uh, there was, you know, it was a very uh, circumstantial case. And Martha Coakley, the DA at the time, uh, who when 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 this uh, you know the Innocence Project took up the case. Uh, the family came to Martha Coakley and said, you know what, we want to challenge this. There was appeals and all that. And you guys got involved. Barry Sheck got involved. And I covered this whole scenario. And and, and I was there when uh, Kenneth Waters was exonerated for this murder. DNA cleared him. The family of the victim actually was supportive of the DNA retesting because they had their own questions about it. And uh, Kenneth Waters was exonerated. And I remember I was there in the courtroom in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Middlesex Superior Court, when Kenneth Waters was exonerated. And he walked out of that court, and Barry Sheck was there, and some other folks from the Innocence Project. And I just remember as a reporter, I was like, wow, this is justice. Like, this is justice. Like, this guy served, I, I don't remember how many years he served. It was, it was you know, at least 10 or 15 years. And he got out because DNA, you know, the science caught up and, and they exonerated him. So that's really what it's all about. You know, these people that are, that are put in jail for things that they don't deserve 
to be there for. And you, you know, people like you and Barry Sheck fight for them. It was an incredible feeling for me to just witness that. But as someone who does this work, what's it like for you to kind of fight for these people and then have success? We got to shout out Betty Ann Waters because Kenneth, that case, you know, Betty Ann was the sister. That's right. And of the guy who was wrongfully convicted. She was, uh, she didn't even have a high school diploma at the time. She was a, a waitress supporting two children as a single mom. And she went to, she got her, she may have had her high school diploma, I can't remember, but she went to college, went to law school, and became a lawyer to get her brother out of prison. I'm getting That's the right. thinking That's about right. it. And That's she right. was the driving force in that. They made an amazing movie called Conviction with Hillary right. Swank about that case. And she got her brother out after 18 years. It's one of the most incredible people, women, just a phenomenal freedom fighter who deserves all the credit in the world. Um, and I got a ton of respect for her. So, um, so I had to say that. So, so back to, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your question. What's it like for you to be a part of a case like that? Like, you know, obviously Betty Ann drove that whole thing and, and thanks for refreshing my memory on that. But, you know, you, you, you have a front seat to these kind of cases where you know there was an injustice committed. You guys fight for it, you prove it, and then the person who was wrongly accused gets out. What's it like for you to go through that journey? It's incredible. I mean, I'm glad you asked. And, you know, I talk about this, but I want to plug my own Instagram. My Instagram is at it's Jason Flom. And that's it's ITS Jason Flom. And I post about this stuff all the time. You know, I'm involved as a, you know, Innocence Project board member uh, from over 25 years and these other organizations I'm on the board of. But I also am an advocate for dozens of other people whose cases have touched me in a way where I might be able to help. So I advocate for clemencies from different governors and presidents. Uh, sometimes I connect people with pro bono attorneys or different organizations that may be able to help them. I wish there were more hours in the day, but it is an unbelievably rewarding thing. I wish it was as easy as you said, because you got to point out that in so many of these cases, there's overwhelming evidence of innocence. But even exactly. after it comes in, the state fights to keep those people in prison. Why is that, Jason? Why do they fight it? Listen, who knows? I mean, I just got the news today, actually, a case I've been working on in uh, Louisiana of a guy named Vincent Simmons. Vincent Simmons has been in prison for 44 years for a crime that yeah. never even happened. And he has proven his innocence again and again. The parole board turns him down every damn time. Today, the state of Louisiana offered him to, to get home, uh, to, to go free on time served. So they're still not acknowledging his innocence. But they're saying to him, look, you can call, you can still fight with us, but, you know, it's going to take another 18 months. You're going to be in, you know, at least right to wait for another trial or even a hearing. He's a 69 year old man. Right. You know, he's in Angola prison. He wants to go home. The system protects itself, unfortunately. Jason, let me, let me interrupt. Uh, so we're in a moment here where, you know, systemic injustice and racial injustice is on trial. Are these wrongful convictions based on race? Well, not always, but they it is racially tinged and biased for sure. I mean, our system is stacked against poor people of color, right? It's a, basically a processing machine for for black and brown bodies, not exclusively again, but, you know, in, in 
um, in numbers that should shock everyone's conscience, but not surprise everyone. People are just processed through because they don't get adequate defense. The prosecutors can be unscrupulous, to say the least. Police, we know, lie in these cases too often. And everybody takes the easy way out. And the person, you know, gets convicted for a crime they didn't commit before you even before you even know it. And of course, the real perpetrator remains free in these cases most of the time, almost overwhelming majority of the time, because you get the wrong person in on a violent crime, murder, whatever you have. And the actual person remains free to commit more uh, terrible crimes because they got away with it. So the system is really in dire need of an overhaul. And I'm very excited to say that our podcast and, of course, the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations is helping to drive those changes because we, we I mean, we should all want a fairer and better system for everyone. Absolutely. And, agree. you know, we agree. When the George Floyd jury verdict was read, can you, you know, I know where I was. I know where my podcaster partner, Dave Wedge, was at the time. You know, talk us through how you felt when you heard the judge recite the verdict in that case? Well, listen, I was deeply relieved, um, but still so very, very sad. You know, I mean, and isn't it terrible to think I'm getting the chills thinking that during the, the verdict, during the time that the verdict was being read, police officer murdered a 15 year old child, a black girl in Columbus, right. Ohio. Like, I mean, so it's tremendously important that that miserable fuck Chauvin was convicted, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, think about this. There's only been, I actually just made, I just saw this. Um, Let me just read you something here. It's very, very quick. Derek Chauvin is only the sixth police officer who have been convicted of murdering someone while on duty in the last 15 years in America. By the way, let me give you some from late breaking news that you're going to be the first to hear this because I just looked at my phone to look that up and I saw (laughs) a fantastic text a case of a guy named Clinton Young. And this shows you that it does happen across all races, right? So Clinton Young's a white guy in Texas on death row. Come to find out he's been on death row for almost 20 years. The prosecutor in his case, fasten your seatbelt, okay? The prosecutor in his case was moonlighting as the assistant to the judge. He was (laughs) writing the verdicts on the cases that he was arguing. This went on for many, 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 many years. What the fuck is going on here so is my man the guy, off, is my man but, off death row he's on death row Clinton no is Young, he off it up. now is he off it now no he's not off they just ordered a new hearing though the judge just Jesus. ordered a new hearing but he's been on death row for 20 years in texas can you imagine but, I think but, it's, it's about 20 it might be 19 it might be 22 i can't even remember what the hell's going on here the guy i we, it's not a hundred percent clear that he wrote the actual decisions in clinton's case but we do know that he was working for the judge you mentioned something in a lot of the different things you've spoken about, which is regarding second punishment. What does that mean to you? We have an awful, awful practice in this country. We as a society should be helping them get back on their feet and reconnect with their community, get meaningful employment, pay taxes, become a, you know, become a productive citizen. But instead, we put up one roadblock after the other. We make it impossible for them to vote, impossible to find housing, very, very difficult to get a job with having to check a box that says you're a convicted felon. We make 
everything hard. And we set up these insane conditions of parole, basically in order to, you know, sort of almost make sure that they, you know, they, they cross the street the wrong way. They're going back to prison. You guys at Innocence Project have saved a lot of lives. Everything that you've talked about today is uh, so important. We're thankful that people like you exist to to help uh, correct these injustices. Um, you know, here on St. Sinners and Serial Killers, we we tell stories of, of crime and injustice and, uh, and you know, mystery, really. But um, we also want to tell these stories as well of injustice. So we would like to have you back on. We'd like to have, uh, we'd like to invite you, that guy Clinton, uh, to come back on that you just mentioned. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for all you did with Lava Records and Atlantic Records. Thank you for Katy Perry. Thank you for <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots. Thank you for Simple Plan. Thank you for Sugar Ray. Man of War, of course. Um, is there any final thoughts you have, Jason? Yeah, if you want to learn more about Clinton Young, you can follow his Instagram. It's Clinton Young Foundation is the Instagram. Um, follow me at It's Jason Flom. I talk about these things all the time. And please check out the podcast, Wrongful Conviction. My closing thought is we have a responsibility to do a better job for everyone, right? And to level the playing field so that Lady Justice, so those scales are actually even instead of being tipped all the way in one direction. And you, whoever it is, everyone that's listening can be a part of this change. The standard in this country is innocent until proven guilty. And the standard in the courtroom is beyond a reasonable doubt. So I beg you, you know, there's that saying that it's better that 10 guilty men go free than that one innocent should suffer. Please take that with you into the jury box. And one other last thought is, if you ever get picked up and brought to the police station for any reason, don't say anything except your name and I want a lawyer. And then stop talking. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you so much for joining Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Jason Flom, the incredible music executive, but so much more than that. Somebody that is literally changing the world. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Keep fighting for justice, my friend. I'll never stop. For more saints, sinners, and serial killers, check out mudhousemedia.com.